Welcome to Buy the Bywater, a podcast on the Megaphonic Network. I'm Ned Raggett. I'm Oriana Schwint. I'm Jared Pekachak. And we're here to talk about all things J.R.R. Tolkien. His work, his inspirations and impact, creative interpretations in other media, languages, lore, ripoffs, parodies, anything we think is interesting. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to the 47th episode of By the Bywater. Great to be back with you as always. Hope you are having a good February wherever it is in the world you are doing things. And I'm just happy because the leak in the roof here has gotten a temporary fix. The kitchen is no longer wet. This is a good thing. So, hope, hope you're all surviving your winters with whatever has been doing. So, I mean, has it been as wet up there for you guys as it's been down here or is it uh, off and on? No, this is bit for Seattle anyway. This has been one of the driest Januarys in like decades. Oh, it's still... raining right now, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it's been it's been pretty dry. Oh, Port- Portland has been quite soggy. Uh, we had like three days in a row of sunshine, though, and I was like a new person. Um, <laughs> it was it was wonderful. I really like coming from LA, where you never appreciate uh, the weather and the sunshine. Mm. Uh, you know, you get used to it. And so coming up here and, and really gaining an appreciation for, for the sun has been oddly nice, even though I have to take vitamin D to deal with the <laughs> seasonal depression. <laughs> like, Trade-offs. You know, but, you, know you, you take your little sad pills. It's fine. <laughs> Literally sad pills. Yes. Quite so. Exactly. <laughs> you do what you can to get through things. But hey, so, you know, slowly but surely the days get longer, at least if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Yes. Southern Hemisphere listeners, you know, prepare. It draws in mm-hmm. slowly. Sorry, um, New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Hello, indeed. So, uh, anyway, so we will uh, just welcome you all again, and we will move on into our our uh, main topic in a bit, but we do have some news, sort of. <laughs> but uh, Jared, as always, please take it away. It's been kind of quiet on the news front since the start of the year, so this is a bit of a grab bag. We'll first note that the HarperCollins union strike is still ongoing. Once again, good luck to everyone as the strike will soon enter its fourth month. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hello there, and a little late note from Ned for this episode. Uh, Before we go on for the rest of the news, Jared mentions about how the HarperCollins union strike was still going on. That was the case as of our recording date a few days ago. However, as of yesterday, Thursday, which was Thursday, February 9th, the union has announced that the tentative labor agreement has been reached through both the union and HarperCollins itself. According to the language that's been released, Tentative agreement includes increases to minimum salaries across levels throughout the term of the agreement, as well as a one-time 1,500 lump sum bonus to be paid to bargaining unit employees following ratification. That's very good news. As a longtime union member myself, I fully support this, and I know I speak for my co-hosts on this front. It is really wonderful to see. Uh, That does mean that at some point later in the year, we may well be talking about a new Tolkien book that did get published, uh, but we will see what the schedule leads us to. So just want to pass that on. Deep congratulations to the union, and we look forward to where things go from there for them. So hurrah for that. And now back to the episode. 
about the only major thing that has been rumored, and that's all it is, is a rumor, is that Embracer, the new owner of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings rights, may be in initial talks with Warner Brothers to see about either extending a partnership or asking them to bow out so Embracer can then ship ideas for more movies or other opportunities elsewhere. <sighs> okay. Um, I, oh god, I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, whatever is happening, the War of the Rohirrim anime is still on track for release next year, so there's still that to look ahead for. Meantime, the Rings of Power scored various award nominations on a technical front, and we're sure that's very nice for them. Filming and production on the second season continues. And on a lighter note, the BBC TV show Repair Shop recently did a restoration on some of Tolkien's letters owned by an Englishman who corresponded with him as a teenager over his homemade runic transcriptions. Big surprise that Tolkien appreciated this level of alphabetic commitment. Uh, <laughs> I wish he'd been alive when I was trying out my little Tanguar scrawls all over everything. Um, meantime, there's a report from Warsaw indicating that two intersecting streets in the city have been named after Tolkien and Gandalf. It seems this was in a district of the city that itself has been nicknamed Mordor, so maybe they were trying to break a jinx or something. <laughs> <laughs> rebranding yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, i like how the yeah. story itself did not make clear because like there was some argument over why it was named mordor to begin with and I'm like, like, hey well i do i do appreciate they actually had intersecting streets so you could actually have a tolkien gandalf thing so every last cosplayer in the city can go and go yeah <laughs> like that. future future conventions saying like that trying to get yeah they're trying to get all the tourism where where the people just, people just turn up for the gram, <laughs> they know what they're doing. But yeah, no, uh, whatever the murky state of things with Embracer is, it's sort of like uh, uh, you know, what oh God, I don't want more movie. <laughs> I know. It's, at least not the way you know, not not live action thing. I mean, the, that's one reason why the anime production is so interesting for us because it is trying at least something different. And, yeah, uh, and uh, and if it succeeds, I'd really you know, I frankly you know, if it succeeds. Seeds, if it turns out well, uh, crossed fingers. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see more along those lines uh, happen with some of the other, like you know, third age material in general, because there's certainly a lot out there. And uh, I, well, you know, well, let's see how they handle this adaptation. But uh, I think we yeah. might be a little more on top of things than the other thing going on right now. But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, we forgot to mention because it is such a rumor, and I I refuse to buy this for a second. But someone somewhere thought it was a good idea to claim that Tom Bombadil is going to be in season two of the Rings of Power, which no, no, no. And if it is, I may have to kill somebody, which may be not very Tolkien-like, but... That, that might actually get me to tune back in just to see like, what what are you doing with this? And mm. why? What? What what's happening here? What's your take on Tom Bombadil? <laughs> and how uh, wrong will it be? <laughs> yeah. Right. They're they weren't good at humor. They were the, not in the show <laughs> and trying to capture it, it would be there's like one way to do him right and a million ways to do him wrong. Mm. And I they would not find that one way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Except by sheer chance. <laughs> Stumble into it backwards, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. So oh dear. So but yeah, no. otherwise otherwise, you know, a bit of a dry gulch period, which I suppose, you know, is unsurprising. We'll just uh, sort of see what happens from here onward. Uh oh uh we will throw in that on the casual note that we were talking about this earlier, there was one other <laughs> sort of news bit about how apparently there's some uh there's some rubbish firm out there somewhere which advertises itself as Lord of the 
the bins, and they proceeded to get sued by Embracer or Middle Earth Enterprises or something like that. In this case, it's, you know, it seems like they went ahead to go so far as to actually model the font after the font of, from the uh, Warner Brothers uh, title adaptation. Mm. So it's like, well, you know, you're pushing it. But as Oriana was pointing out, you got firms like Palantir and all things out there just riding away and doing things like sucks it sucks it sucks it sucks deeply and like this is not the kind of copywriter trademark enforcement that uh i think is good like i mean you know it's seldom good but in Mm. cases you know in a case like palantir and rural where the companies themselves are so abhorrent and so contrary to kind of what the author believed in i like tolkien was not cool with a panopticon i'm pretty i think that's a pretty safe thing to say (laughs) and so that kind of enforcement would be like even if legally it's there's no there's no standing like morally i can get behind it going after a a waste management (laughs) company i mean come on guys do you really do you have nothing better to do (laughs) i don't know just let it. Because it's just... easier to take them on than it is to take on Palantir. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Rubbish guys, Peter Thiel. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> One could go on, so uh, we will have to. We will just have to see. So, in any event, uh, if there's, we'll see about more news next time. But again, this may be sort of a, uh, you know, sort of a period in terms of this, unless you know something bigger gets announced. We will see. But in the meantime, uh, we do have, of course, a main topic to go to. It was Ariana's choice this time? So please, Ariana, lead us into what we'll be talking about. That was actually not a very good. Uh, I, I should have warmed up. I didn't warm up my vocal cords. I apologize <laughs> we'll, to our we'll listeners. Cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, leave it in. It, <laughs> it deserves. I should have prepped more properly. But uh, so we're talking about Gollum, and in in my opinion, everything I talk about is always just my opinion. But there is an argument to be made. I think that Gollum, aka Smeagol, aka Klonku in in Finnish is the most important person in the entirety of the Lord of the Rings. And I don't just say this because he is maybe the character I relate to the most. And I'm like, we'll get to that at some point, both within the narrative and in the meta narrative. He is a linchpin. First, where, where did this weird little guy come from? Because in the original edition of The Hobbit, published in 1937, he's kind of just there. He is a weird guy on a rock in a lake under a mountain. His life is basically just a stark contrast to Bilbo's. His exact size and shape are are left to kind of guess at. Um, Bilbo, in this version, does win the ring outright from Gollum, and it's only after Gollum sort of pops into the Lord of the Rings as Tolkien is working on it later, only then is his backstory fully unearthed, and, and in 1946, Tolkien starts to think about revising The Hobbit to retcon the Riddles in the Dark chapter, which is the only chapter in which Gollum appears in The Hobbit, despite having this sort of outsized influence uh, and being kind of the guy outside of Bilbo that that people really remember. So in 1946, he's like, you know, maybe I should go back and kind of, you know, make it so that this makes a little more sense. Uh, And then by 1951, we see in a very long letter to Milton Waldman that the change has officially happened, and it's Tolkien, quote, clarifying the character of Gollum in The Hobbit. 
Going back a few years to 1944, when Tolkien is working on The Lord of the Rings, he says that Gollum, quote, continues to develop into a most intriguing character. I was probably most moved by. And the tragedy of Gollum, who at that moment came within a hair of repentance, but for one rough word from Sam. Now, the moment that he is referring to is actually, it might be my favorite moment in the whole series, just because mm-hmm. it is so moving, and so I'm going to read it. This is, in, in my copy of The Lord of the Rings, uh, this is in The Two Towers, it's page 366. Gollum looked at them. A strange expression passed over his lean, hungry face. The gleam faded from his eyes, and they went dim and gray, old and tired. A spasm of pain seemed to twist him, and he turned away, peering back up towards the pass, shaking his head as if engaged in some interior debate. Then he came back, and slowly putting out a trembling hand, very cautiously he touched Frodo's knee, but almost the touch was a caress. For a fleeting moment, could one of the sleepers have seen him, they would have thought that they beheld an old, weary hobbit, shrunken by the years that had carried him far beyond his time, beyond friends and kin, and the fields and streams of youth, an old, starved, pitiable thing. But at that touch, Frodo stirred and cried out softly in his sleep, and immediately Sam was wide awake. The first thing he saw was Gollum, pawing at his master as he thought. "'Hey, you,' he said roughly, "'what are you up to?' "'Nothing, nothing,' said Gollum softly. "'Nice master.' I dare say, said Sam, but where have you been to, sneaking off and sneaking back, you old villain? Gollum withdrew himself, and a green glint flickered under his heavy lids. Almost spider-like he looked now, crouched back on his bent limbs with his protruding eyes. The fleeting moment had passed beyond recall. And that is, it's easy to see why this moment would come to haunt Tolkien in a good way, I I think. Uh, All the way in 1966, he writes about how grieved he continues to be by Gollum's failure to repent, which is Sam's fault. Um, Quote, this seems to me like the real world in which the instruments of just retribution are seldom themselves just or holy, and the good are often stumbling blocks. With that, I just read for a very long time, um, I, I, I do want to ask if you kind of agree with Tolkien's opinion of his own work uh, that Gollum, though pitiable, ended in persistent wickedness, and the fact that this worked good was no credit to him. What What do you guys think of that? Do you Do you agree that just that Gollum doesn't kind of deserve any credit in the end? Jared, you want to go first there? <laughs> Oh, that's a much tougher question than I was anticipating for mm, the. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Is, I'm yeah, like going, this yeah. is kind of very. We're going one? into the deep end. Yeah, I totally thought it was going to be like, let's start talking about he's uh, a, a hobbit or whatever. He's so cute or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in those terms, yeah, he kind of doesn't deserve. So he, he continually makes choices. Mm-hmm. And it's not always his fault, especially because he has just been like ground down his entire life Mm -hmm. by the ring like he's not in a way he's not culpable Mm. but in a lot of ways he is because there are a lot of times where he still knows what he should be doing and he just doesn't do it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and yeah sam is to blame for that but also sam doesn't know what he's doing i mean it, it is really complicated but it does kind of come down to like Gollum can choose to do other things mm-hmm. 
And it's very difficult to choose to do that. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that he doesn't, Mm -hmm. but he still doesn't. I have a sort of fallback thing I'll I'll bring up that sort of opens up maybe another area of discussion, but something that interests me, like Oriano was saying, I very much was rereading the letters uh, where he was talking about Gollum and uh, Mm -hmm. note a lot of what uh, Oriano has brought up were kind of key quotes that leapt out at me. Um, And he clearly, at least in terms of what we have from him on the written record in letters, this scene was one that, you know, he kept coming back to over the years and talking about it. It was, it was, it was something that, uh, you know, I, I agree with Oriana. It's something that always has been sort of a, you know, big particular moment for me. Um, the two, I would say, that are uh, that are the biggest for me, which also involves Gollum. The first one is the one that is uh, when, Bill, when Frodo and Gandalf are talking back in the Shadow of the Past chapter, and uh, and uh, and Frodo says, ah, what a pity that, you mm-hmm. know, Gollum didn't kill me, had a chance, and Gandalf says, pity and mercy stayed his hand, which I thought was very crucial, which, as I've talked about in the, in the Fellowship episode, uh, of the of Jackson's Fellowship episode, I was very glad that made it to the film. Uh, that is one key scene. This key scene has not made it to many things. It, it made it to the Bakshi version, uh, which is interesting in a very very you know quick way. But um, but setting aside you know where where uh, where adaptations uh, you know fail or fall in in, in this particular <laughs> matter, um, taking it as it is, you know, it's. Um, yeah, it, it's it's sort of it's almost the climax to his story, which yes. is worth talking yes. about. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like you know, after that, there's nothing more. And Tolkien phrases it like that. And it's clearly a case where he seems to be, especially in response to some of the deeper questions going on. Like I had forgotten, for instance, that one of those letter writers was saying, "Hey, you know, Frodo is hailed as a hero, but didn't he fall at the end?" And mm-hmm. I'm like, "Going, that's 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 hard, but that's a kind of a thing to point out." And clearly, Tolkien was sort of like trying to sort. Of take apart his own psychology in the story. It's interesting to see how he almost falls back on opposed to saying that he's recording a story rather than actually creating yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it seems to be a sort of interesting distancing for how he's handling this particular, this particular sequence and element. And uh, the, the, the part of from the letters that really stood out for me, uh, there are, there are a couple of them. Let me see if I can find one right here. This is uh, from uh, the letter to a, yeah, this is a letter to the editor of the new Republic, Michael Str- Mm-hmm. And he had a few things to say right here. Gollum is to me just a character, an imagined person, who granted the situation acted so-and-so under opposing strains, as it appears to be probable that he would. There is always an incalculable element in any individual, real or imagined, otherwise he or she would not be an individual but a type. Now that's a really interesting quote, yeah. uh, given that uh, so much of uh, so many uh, observations or things on Tolkien are that his characters can seem to be types. It's almost mm-hmm. sort of like he's recognizing this and going like, yeah, but there's something more there's something else here, mm-hmm. you know. There's uh, there's something there's something different going on, and uh, and then he goes on to say, uh, I think it's a, yeah a little bit uh, later in the letter. Uh, Into the ultimate judgment upon Gollum, I would not care to inquire. This is referring to. Gollum's eventual tumble into uh, Mount Doom's lava. Uh, This would be to investigate God's privity, as the medieval said. Interesting choice uh, there. Gollum was pitiable, but he ended in persistent wickedness, and the fact that this worked good 
was to, was was no credit to him. His marvelous courage and endurance, as great or Sam, Frodo and Sam's or greater, being devoted to evil, was portentous but not honorable. I am afraid, whatever our beliefs, we have to face the fact that there are persons who yield to temptation, reject their chances of nobility or salvation, and appear to be damnable. <laughs> Which I thought is very sort of yeah. He puts that in quotes too. So mm-hmm. and it, and it's interesting how he's sort of like he's 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 having created a character. He's passing a moral judgment on it as much as he can, but he's trying to do so from a sort of outside removed viewpoint and yeah. claiming that he doesn't really know. It's yeah. it's a it's a really tangled thing. And I think in some respects he does obviously go into Frodo and Sam. Uh, I should say obviously he does go into Frodo and Sam and judgments and discussions further in this letter and elsewhere. So it's not like that's Gollum's the only character he thinks about. But I think Gollum is such a fascinatingly unexpected character mm-hmm. that uh, that Tolkien's meditations on him uh, really really ring interesting to me precisely because they're not the hero. It's sort of like, how do you deal with a villain, as described? How do you deal with a villain that is the most personified villain, you could argue, of the entire story, who's not entirely a villain? What do you do? That's mm-hmm. precisely what makes the story so incredibly fascinating. So... Yeah, I think without Gollum, too, and this is sort of like Gollum as narrative device, but without Gollum, Frodo's failure is unforgivable, I think. Mm. Gollum provides this insight into if Frodo had had to hold on to the ring for a much longer period of time, this is what would have happened to him. And I think that is why, and you know, admittedly, this is the story is written by Hobbit kind, so of course they're going to be kinder to Frodo. But I, I think without Gollum in the story to see, you know, the real effects of the Ring, it, it, you you do have to more harshly judge Frodo for what he does, which kind of gets into Gollum as like he's an incredible litmus test almost for for our characters because he seems to bring out the absolute best in Frodo. Mm-hmm. Frodo has of course a vested interest in Gollum being redeemable whereas it brings out just the absolute worst in Sam. I know we spent like yeah. a whole episode talking about how much we love <laughs> Sam, but he's such a jerk in the two towers. The whole book he's just a giant meanie head. <laughs> I'm trying not you're, trying you're not trying to, so hard. Trying so hard not to swear for the children in the audience. How kind of you. <laughs> that is so interesting though, like why why Gollum does that? Why has that effect on Sam? Like what mm-hmm. does why does that happen? And I know that I told more into talking about Sam here, but like what is it that Gollum sees about the Frodo Go- or what is it that Sam sees about the Frodo Gollum relationship mm-hmm. that drives him so nuts? Yeah. Is it like it seems sometimes like jealousy, but what kind of jealousy? Is he disgusted by Gollum? Like what's going on there? It is it is a very complex reaction, a very layered reaction. Intention like uh, that is why it's it's always interesting to see people talk about how Tolkien's characters are just kind of archetypes, etc. When it's like, no, there's like Sam's reaction to Gollum alone is is it's, it's so much to unpack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think he. I think a lot of the time his character writing comes across as thin because it's not, it's not announcing itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nobody is sitting there having long introspective passages or whatever about like, <laughs> oh God, the the curtains represent my infidelity or whatever. Like there's, there's none of that. So you don't necessarily think in those terms, but when you actually dig into like why they're doing what they're doing, it's mm-hmm. like, no, these are, these are full characters. 
It's interesting because something I, I didn't have the chance to do, and there may be something more to this, is I was I was hoping to maybe get a sense of this maybe from the letters, and there's probably more that's been said about this in criticism elsewhere, but trying to get a sense of who Gollum's um, you know, forebears in creative mm. or, or literature and all that, who exactly are they? And that's something that I really wonder about because that's kind of the thing. It's sort of you know, I'm I'm reminded of Andy Circus's reaction that he tells. When he got the word that uh, that uh, that uh, he was, but there was a potential role that he might be up for, and says like you know, and to paraphrase the story, he says, "Age of Contact to them, uh, maybe a voice only role. They're doing Lord of the Rings. You'll be doing Gollum." He's like, "Oh, I doesn't think that was interesting." And then he sort of looks into either the books or the script that was sent to him, and he realizes, "Oh man, this this character is amazing." Mm-hmm. And, and it's and it's something that uh, you know when you compare it against uh, you know, let's say all the members of let's say the Fellowship or figures like Theoden and Denethor to one degree or another, they're all kind of recognizable, and you get a sense of where they can come from, what their, again, their literary forebears are, what their mythic Mm -hmm. forebears are. Gollum is initially just a random monster, essentially, in the mm-hmm. Tolkien co- cosmology. He just he sort of yeah. emerges He emerges classically whole cloth in the Tolkien way. It's sort of like Bilbo's going along, and then he stumbles across an obstacle. And in the, in the context of uh, in the context of the original Hobbit, he's, he's he is indeed very much kind of goofy. <laughs> he is just yeah. sort of yeah. like you know, it's sort of like oh, he'll threaten to like eat you and all that. But you know, Bilbo just you know kind of outwits him with sneaking the ring and <laughs> Gollum. Gollum's just sort of like, okay, shrug, yeah, I'll take you away. You it's sort of, it's like there, there's no yeah. real threat there. Just sort of a random little encounter, and Bilbo's got a little lovely magic ring that he uses off and does things with. The transformation of Gollum is sort of like Tolkien recognizing that this random character he's come up with, who speaks in a sibilant way, suddenly is you know it, it's miles removed. It's so far removed from where we end up uh, with Gollum at the end of it. It's it's it's. It's it's a striking retcon. It's a striking self retcon. Is really what it he did. Really yeah. is. I was. It didn't occur to me for some reason until thinking about this. You know, talking about it for this episode. That like that's like this character. This one one chapter character from a kid's book mm-hmm. becomes one of the most nuanced, interesting characters in all of like fantasy literature. Like this is mm-hmm. like taking the fish from Cat in the Hat and turning it into <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Like, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it, like <laughs> why that is it's so fascinating and it it's such an interesting achievement. It's it's mm-hmm. yeah anyway. It is interesting. I, I was reading, uh, I, I like, you know, tried to read some academic, you know, some actual scholarship on this. <laughs> and it was, I don't want to cast shade on anyone doing this, but I was reading a lot of like, Gollum is like Grendel-ish type yeah. creature. And I was <laughs> like, I, you know. Uh, uh, sort of, but like, I see why you say that, but I wouldn't I'm not, go I, that and far. I don't, yeah, I don't, I think, I think it's a bit of a reach and I, you know, look, we've all had to make a reach in, you know, various assignments yeah. that we've had to do. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I've never really bought into that. It feels like too much of an attempt to tie in the religious, you know, people kind of projecting um, mm-hmm. extra religion on, on uh, <laughs> you know, an extra religious reading onto the Lord of the Rings that isn't really there like there's already one you don't need to add another one yeah it's you know (laughs) um something one of you said kind of oh yes the retconning Hmm. this is a fascinating thing and it's 
Yeah. It is very clever in a way because as we talked about in the Book of Westmarch ep- or mm-hmm. right Yeah, yeah, yes. it was that one. Uh <laughs> episode which was which is a great episode and people should go listen to it. <laughs> we you know, you. It, it it is very clever to be like, aha, so you know, Bilbo's version of the story is this and we finally have like the real version of the story. This is what really happened. It's like, oh, all right. So it is clever, but is it also kind of clumsy at the same time? Thoughts? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I think it's incredible. <laughs> I love that that metafictional twist. Yeah. Like, you know, this it's not working with the old version anymore. So I'll make it not work with the old version and make that a plot point. Like that's mm. yeah. I, I love that so much. I <laughs> That's that's what I got. I just love that twist. I mean, it it, it is interesting, especially from a later point of view, that uh, so much of so much of that which is made much of is sort of like I don't you know when I was reading Lord of the Rings for the first time, where you have uh, you know Bilbo at the Council of Elrond, you know, with his little aside for uh, for glowing there and saying, and if some of you have heard this story a little differently, you know, let me assure you, and all that, and I hadn't <laughs> realized that at that point, you know, in in strictly you know quote-unquote real-world terms that, you know, almost 20 years of whatever people know the story has been knowing it kind of one way, although, of course, the revision had already been worked on uh, mm-hmm. by that point. But uh, but otherwise, you've been reading it early enough. So, and yeah, as a metafictional touch, I kind of agree with Jared. It's one of those things that, you know, is it clumsy? <laughs> but was it something that wasn't, I you know, when I say retcon, retcon these days, you know, just makes me think of how many times can you endlessly reboot a Marvel or DC universe or things like that. <laughs> this is more just sort of like somebody realizing, oh, wow, I've, uh, you know, it's sort of like he's, the creative process has gone to the point where he's realized that the character as it stands just can't do it. And he doesn't want to put in a new character. And strictly speaking, he can't put in a new character. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that, yes, he has maybe clumsily painted himself in a new corner, but he did so incredibly unintentionally. But then he built a wonderful window to get out of. Right. Yeah. 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 He, found yeah. A, he, found, he found a way to exactly bridge or move or, you know, send the metaphor a window. Indeed. Yeah. And that's if it had uh, been, I think it would have been clumsy if he had just been like, oh, I. Bilbo, I was lying. Like that's when you find out. Like, oh, I was lying. But having it like actually revise the Hobbit for later editions and have that be the truth, I think is like mm. that's such a move. I, <laughs> and real I love power it. move. Yeah, it really is. And I also love the fact that uh, you know, you know, t- taking about Gollum in the Hobbit for a bit. So just uh, things like that. I love the fact that you know the initial description of him is kind of still mostly kind and silly to a degree. I mean, yeah. what's great yeah. is that, you know, the root of Gollum is, you know, is like, let's, what is the root of the character? A, a cave and there's some sort of little slimy creature down the bottom. Yes. Right? That's, yeah. that's a classic. Like, like that, bat wings and stuff. Like, yeah. 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 That, he's that's just a, a gross that, little guy. He's yeah, a weird that's a, that's little a tr- guy. Yeah, he's the trope of a move is what it is. This is one of those things like, sure, of course it's down there. You know, there, the, the advantage of Gollum as initially conceived is that you don't have to leap that far from him and just draw on anything. So it really, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking about, you know, where he comes from in terms of that he's just kind of there you know we don't even you know we he seems like he's always been there which of course is part of you know the later issues yeah. we find out and i love bits like we get the aside from the narrator about like you know about how he just recently grabbed an orc imp how it squeaked you know? yeah and we had it and i'm just like okay there's a whole another world here where it just you know, where you know where gollum is just from this little goofy shadowy guy who knocks off little goblin imps or whatever and things like that and nobody really cares except for the goblin imps. the goblins don't seem to 
to care. They just right. knew he's down there like, ah, whatever, you know, just let They're him like, alone. oh, we don't go there anymore, except, <laughs> yeah. when, except when the Goblin King needs fish from this stupid lake. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. He's like he's like the, the creepy neighbor down to the basement flat that you're just sort of like, just work around him so we can get to the washer and the dryer. You know, that sort of yeah. thing is what it is. And, you know, I, and, you know, I, and he does function just on that level, of course, in the original text. But, yeah, no, his, his transformation it, it, it is, you know, again, I'm, something that occurred to me just now would have been interesting if Tolkien had gotten this far, which, of course, he did not. And I totally understand he did not. If he had done the full early 60s revision of The Hobbit that he started – and he did do the first three chapters where it would be more, quote-unquote, in line with the Lord of the Rings style. And as I said before, what happened is a friend of his read it and said, like, this is good, but just not The Hobbit. And Tolkien thought, you're right, and just gave up and didn't you know, go any further. So he didn't get as far as the Gollum chapter. The correct chapter. decision. Yeah, yeah completely correct it's decision. So important. It's so important to know when to give up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That may sound anti-motivational, but it's completely true. Know when to cut your losses, creatively or otherwise. <laughs> Because otherwise, you're spe- then you end up spending forty years doing the exact like just just bashing your head into a wall. Mm, yeah. yeah, no, no. I mean, but that you can but, always quit. And it, it and it shows just how powerful and interesting a creation Gollum is. And I mean, let's now you know we've been talking, I think, understandably about stuff towards the you know towards the end of uh, his time, you could say, in Lord of the Rings. But uh, why don't we talk a little bit more about? Uh, how he's handled and introduced. I mean, I think I think it's a this is going to sound like a creative leap, and I'm not saying Tolkien was thinking of this, but suddenly again, this is one of those things that just flashed on me out of nowhere. How familiar are either of you with the uh, with the uh, Carol Reed film, uh, The Third Man? I have seen it. Okay, I have not. The character of Harry Lime, uh, which is Orson Welles' character in uh, in The Third Man, uh, comes in about halfway through. And uh, what happens is is that much more so, relatively speaking, than uh, than uh, than we have in Lord of the Rings, is that the character is discussed and talked about for plot reasons. Things we won't go into. He's a little more central, you could say. But the point is, his presence sort of mm. feels like it's there, and only halfway through does he finally appear. Mm-hmm. And in a very, very light, indirect way, which, again, no comparison point, among other things, Tolkien had already been writing this out well before The Third Man came out, which is a post-World War II uh, film and novel by uh, Graham Greene. Do we get the hints of Gollum mm-hmm. that emerge in the final version of the book? I forget exactly how much they were in place necessarily all the way in terms of the manuscript writing. I'd have to go back and check. You know, the uh, the sense that, you know, the Frodo hears him in Moria, mm-hmm. the little gleam of eyes, the sense that, uh, you know, the, that, that wonderfully creepy still scene where he's almost climbing the tree or climbing up the yeah. tree and then scuttles mm-hmm. away, which is which is good, tense, Tolkien is horror writer type thing mm-hmm. or a thriller, if you will. Um, the floating, the mysterious, the floating on the log down the river. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's this shadowy presence that's always there. And it really, really makes it more interesting when Colm finally shows up as a result. You know, mm-hmm. he just sort of like that's. That's a way to handle a character where something something literally is, you know, his 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 absence is noted where he is, where he isn't, you know, the news that he's broken out at the, mm-hmm. uh, the Council of Elrond that he's escaped, you know, just mm-hmm. that it's it's a really nice touch to have a character be involved without actually being there is what yeah. it is. It's yeah. really and, striking. You know, even even uh, the rumors of Gollum eating babies, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, setting him up as this. I, do we think Gollum actually ate babies? I think so. Okay, I think he has. He's I don't know. Con- I, he's all appetite. I don't think he has mm-hmm. any conscience about what he eats. Because he likes he likes raw fish, and I yeah. wonder if it's just like I don't know. I guess babies are <laughs> better meat. He likes goblin imps, maybe. 
because they're yeah. small. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, 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 choose, I choose to believe. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. I can't. I can't explain. But I choose to believe that was just an elvish rumor. I think the wood elves <laughs> just hated having to deal with him, and they were like, you know what? I heard. I heard <laughs> this guy. <laughs> this weird little guy eats babies. <laughs> Elvish propaganda. I knew it. I, I, that's my. That's my. Again, my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. I. I do think he is. I think he does eat babies, just because he is all appetite. We talked. I think we talked about this in the food episode, maybe. Mm. But like, mm. appetite and eating are a constant thing. And like, the hobbits are like constantly hungry, but they're always they cook it. They don't. Mm-hmm. They're more c- civilized. Mm. Um. Whereas Gollum has been so ruined by this, you know, this shard of demigod's soul that he wears on his finger that he's like, he doesn't care anymore. He's mm-hmm. just, he's hungry. Whatever is nearby is what he's going to eat. Kind of, it's similar to industrialization in a way where they're just going to use up stuff because it's there mm-hmm. and not even bother with what it could have been or, or what it is or whatever. They're just going to use it. And he's, it's a similar kind of thing. And that's what makes the arguably the the encounter scene when, of course, he and he finally, well, you know, Frodo and Sam, you know, realize having realized it's still tracking him. They finally decided sort of like, OK, let's just, you know, be done with this and uh, and uh, and end up taking him captive. Uh, just sort of sense that a, a cycle maybe is being broken to a degree. Um, the uh, first tying him up, of course, with the rope. And then, you know, when he just reacts with the sheer soul torment that uh, it's uh, it's hurting him beyond all measure and then choosing to let him go and you know and then having having the loaded oath that is sworn mm-hmm. and uh, and everything there this sort of conditional thing and then uh, and then Gollum sort of becoming a new person it seems after that at least for a while i mean this is something I was hoping to see something of in the letters, and I didn't see it necessarily. But I think it's—I think it's been pretty obvious. I, I mentioned some episodes before about questions: how do we judge? Can we judge Gollum? Questions of uh, mental illness has, has come up, as we understand it now. But the other thing that I think has been more truly argued about, and I think understandably, is the idea of, you know, addiction mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the framing of Gollum as like an ultimate hyper, you know, a hyper addict, you know, something you can project mm-hmm. all your things of somebody who is in enthralled to something, seemingly mm-hmm. can't find a way out. How do you do that? Is it tough love? Is it therapy, etc.? Which is, of course, a very American, shall we say, projection yeah. of our thing onto something that was created by a guy who was born in Victorian Edwardian England, and as far as I can tell, didn't really ever seem to have any sort of sense of of working on that level, at least consciously, I really don't sense any of that mm-hmm. at all. I sense, I sense, of course, he work how he works in terms of trauma and in terms mm-hmm. of the accumulated mm-hmm. memory and things. That very much is clear. But I don't really get a sense that Tolkien was actually trying to write something a character like that. And yet, the character has such resonance with an mm-hmm. understanding of that idea. It's really, it's a very interesting conceptual leap that you know, it's kind of, I don't want to say hard to escape, but really sort of frames a lot of how I think about the character still. Yeah, I wonder if some of that comes from like, you know, the ring of power is a is power itself, pure mm-hmm. unadulterated power. It's very easy to make the leap from like, you know, I I think, you know, Tolkien is writing about the the effects of power on on anyone, you know, everyone and its draw and how easy it is to become addicted to 
power in, you know, the mm-hmm. way that he kind of understood that. And it is very easy to, like, the effects are very similar to, you know, to to more physical addictions. And, you know, wanting to kind of create a more physical image of what addiction to power in this case looks like just happens to coincide kind of night or kind of map on to mm-hmm. what what addiction to a, a physical substance might kind of look like. I've never really I know I'm probably in the minority on this, but I've never really read it as addiction mm-hmm. because and I know there's a lot of ways you can read it. And it, I'm not saying it's invalid or anything, but to me, what it what it has always felt more like is that the ring is his identity because mm. he's had it for so long. It's the only thing he has. It's clear. Like he's aware of it as being a, an entity on some mm-hmm. level. He, he's, he knows that it's conscious or something or semi-conscious or whatever it is. So he, I, he's identified with it so much that without it, he doesn't really know who he is. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it feels like a weird way. So he's looking for part of himself. He's looking for his other half in a way. Mm. And it doesn't, in the book, the movies do play it as an addiction kind of thing. But mm-hmm. in the in the book, to me, it's more like he just needs it because he's identified himself with it so strongly that that's all that there is. It's not even that it is power. It's just that it, this is this is his other self, whether it really is or not, and you know, definitely isn't. But he's just he's looking for that part of himself and never really gets it. Yeah. But, but- that makes me think of uh, David Foster Wallace. I think it comes from a piece he was writing on a on a tennis player. I cannot remember the name off the top of my head, but I've always remembered this sentence where he's talking about how, you know, it's the kind of love whose measure is what it has cost, what one has given up for. Mm, um, yes. And I think that definitely applies here. You know, Gandalf said he loves and hates the ring as, as he, he as he loves yeah, and hates, hates himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is interesting too. It's also a, a tie, you know, the ring is so inextricable from hit Gollum's past, you know, yeah. the way that it is, it was his downfall. It was his, mm-hmm. the cause of his ejection from society. And also, yeah. you know, the first unforgivable act that he did, um, which does actually, so a bit lighter, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> Talk about murder. <laughs> let's talk about murder. No, let's talk about uh, Smeagol and Eagle. Yes. What? Um, because that relationship is fascinating to me. Well, they're obviously like, boyfriends. Well, that's the thing. So, like, it just feels so. Gollum feels so obviously qu- like that feels like a queer relationship. Like because specifically, like a, a man calling another man my love really sticks out in in this world. Like Merry and Pippin don't do it. Sam yeah. doesn't do it for Frodo, nor Frodo to Sam or Bilbo Says to he Frodo. Loves Frodo doesn't call him my love. Exactly. Like, <laughs> there is a difference, and like I'm sure. <laughs> Like, 100% sure that that was just Tolkien attempting to preserve Gollum's particular argot and and provide a bridge between Mm -hmm. Smeagol and Gollum. But, like, what? But also, it's really easy to not, like, to to be like, no, no, they were... They were boyfriends. Like. Yeah. Well, it, it's like, it's, I mean, it, whatever relationship it is, is 100% abusive. Where like, Garland mm-hmm. is the, the taker. Mm-hmm. And when Diggle refuses this thing, then it's like, no, you can't. Yeah. You owe that to me because I'm the one in charge. And then it's like, I, it just reads as a little brief snippet of like the worst 
Yeah. Gay love story in history. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, oh no, like the toxic gays. They're so toxic that mm-hmm. one murders the other one over a birthday present. It's uh, an interesting inversion of the Frodo and Sam relationship where mm-hmm. Sam at no point is like, give that to me. Mm-hmm. He, it's, you know, there's. The, the, okay, this is, this is. Feel free to vomit after I say this, but like the power of love can defeat the rain. <laughs> like, aww, aww. I feel better already. <laughs> but I mean, no, there's something to it. I mean, here's a bit in the letters that leapt out at me about this relationship, about how Tolkien himself not fully saw it, but how he sort of interpreted the characters of it. And it's uh, oh, I think I bookmarked this one as well. <laughs> it, it, this is the one about the birthday gifts, right? That, that yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That one's interesting. Among other things. That's interesting because Tolkien being Tolkien suddenly really goes off. You get a whole lot of like amazing random Shire backstory that goes well yeah. beyond birthday gifts, where you find out, for instance, that apparently like you know uh, Pippin's Pippin's sister murdered yeah, uh, murdered the grandma play. or something like that. You're like, man, what, what's yeah, going on here? That in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I want I want this story, <laughs> dude. Like this. J- Ned, we will get back to you in one second, but I do Shire murder mystery series, gentle British in, investigator. I mean, we got the models right there. We, we got, got Midsummer Murders, Rosemary yeah. and Time. I tell you, all of them. The path is laid. For, oh, I mean, Rosemary and Time might as well be the name, but two characters in the Shire. Let's <laughs> yeah. face it. So, yeah. <laughs> two two Hobbit ladies going around the West Farthing or whatever, slightly broken crimes. down, slightly broken down uh, <laughs> cart that they've got going down. Things yeah. like yeah. this, and oh adventures happen. And the yes. sheriffs and the mayor of no help at all. Of course not. It's like no. weird, like Shire Noir. Like <laughs> anyway, anyway. Back to the letter. Back to the yeah. back to the point. So here, here's the segment here, which says a lot about both us being able to. So in in basically, someone had basically the little the context here, which is explained uh, by uh, by the editor. This was a reply to a reader who pointed out apparent contradiction in Lord of the Rings that uh, in the chapter along expected party, it says hobbits give presents to other people on their own birthdays, yet Gollum refers to the ring as his birthday present. So uh, the was like, is there a contradiction? He said, I won't go into the full details here, but anyway, so. Well, he's doing all this and uh, so to read this as well as an appended note uh, that Tolkien himself wrote uh, in, in this draft. Custom did not demand costly presents, and a hobbit was more readily flattered and delighted by an unexpectedly good, in quotes, or desirable present than offended by a customary token of family goodwill. A trace of this can be seen in the account of Smeagol and Deagle, modified by the individual characters of these rather miserable specimens. Deagle, <laughs> Deagle evidently a relative, as no doubt all the members of the small community were, had already given his customary present to Smeagol although they probably set out on their expedition very early in the morning. Being a mean little soul, he grudged it. Smeagol, being meaner and greedier, tried to use the birthday as an excuse for his act of tyranny. Because I wants it, was his frank statement of his chief claim. But he also implied that Deagle's gift was a poor and insufficient token, hence Deagle's retort that on the contrary, it was more that he could afford. And then there's a further note down here, he says, talking about how uh, gifts are made to the head of the family. He then says, and again, note the idea that uh, Tolkien is recording this, not inventing it. More likely, of course, he's thinking of for the first time. <laughs> there is no mention of Smeagol's presence. I imagine that he was an orphan and do not suppose that he gave any present on his on his birthday, save grudgingly the tribute to his grandmother. And here he puts grandmother in quotes, whereas in The Hobbit, there are no quotes. Mm-hmm. 
Fish, probably. One of the reasons, maybe, for the expedition, it would have been just like Smeagol to give fish actually caught by Deagle. So <laughs> so there's a lot going on there, obviously, in terms of how he regards these characters. It's uh, it, it's not just simply like a, a, a good one and a bad one. It's more like, ah, these people both suck. <laughs> so, bad and worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's goofus and goofus. <laughs> Goofusier. But, um, but I, I mean, I, I do find that interesting because I think he, he brings us up in a couple of the other letters too he doesn't he really you know the more the more you could say he thinks about the character of like what is Smeagol who is Smeagol mm. how did it come mm. to this is basically he doesn't really he doesn't give him an out I guess is the best way to put it he sort of says that he has to always kind of suck is what it is and uh, and that I think is interesting it it does however bring to mind the idea that his seeming like you know freedom or a chance to sort of do focus in the Lord of the Rings as a result is weirdly important it's almost like some part of him is clasping at something that he never really had to begin with is an interesting mm-hmm. way of framing it it's sort of like for the first time Sme- Smeagol may be trying to do something thing good in its in and of itself mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. an interesting and he implication brings the rabbits when he brings the yeah. rabbits to to sam and Fro- you know that's heartbreakingly nice yeah which is also why i don't think he eats babies <laughs> <laughs> well not by that point for sure <laughs> well yeah i feel like the, the implication is at that point he's just so tired mm. yeah mm-hmm. and the fact that somebody has taken pity on him which not even the elves were doing right has changed him and that's a huge part of Tolkien's later writing especially in the letters about about Gollum is the importance of pity in his life it, it does it does change him and it sets it up for the later like you catastrophe ending of the mm. of the ring mm. but even the the oath under that it's sworn on Emmanuel is like sure it's a kind of a rough oath to, to swear mm. but the fact that Frodo is giving him the choice mm-hmm. to, to take it and like keeping Sam from just killing him and he's, he's being treated as a person Mm -hmm. and nobody has treated him like a person until that point. And even if he was kind of a crappy little guy at the beginning, like here's his chance to redeem himself. And maybe he finally recognizes that because he's so tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if, you know, Bilbo is butter scraped over too much bread at the age of 111. Right. What is Gollum at this point? He's just, he's so tired. It takes so much strength to be bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, and to live with your bad choices. To yeah, to live with them, to live with I mean, he's never really portrayed I think as feeling guilty mm-hmm. for some of the stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which also takes a lot of mental effort to push away cuz guilt is a very natural human emotion, I think. Uh yeah. and so mm-hmm. you do as someone who has like pushed guilt away in the past, just because I, you know, Catholic, uh, it takes a lot of effort and it's even worse when you know, deep down that you like, you should feel guilty, <laughs> mm-hmm. like on the rare occasion. <laughs> yeah. And he's also been away from the ring for like a, a century long, yeah. At, yeah. At, the, at the point of, no, not that long. But at 60, the point 60 of, years, yeah. I think. A while. Yeah. 60 at the point years. of, yeah, at the point of finding Frodo and the ring must have been there's you could there's no way you could have that and not feel justified in your choices right mm-hmm. like like you know it was totally worth it because i've got this this precious yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But without it, he's having to come to grips with the fact that he is a murderer, which I think the movie makes a little on the nose. But you know, mm-hmm. murder. But <laughs> yeah, the, mo- the movie uh, definitely ends up spelling that more out. Whereas in the book, you know, you get the sense that uh, you know Gandalf gets the story of Smeagol and Deagle from uh, from Gollum. But uh, you know, once we encounter Gollum, he's not obsessively returning to talking about him. Deagle never comes no. up. You know, that's just yeah. it's just it's it's backstory that's then disposed of. Um, you know, there it's almost sort of like. Uh, you know, this just only occurred to me. You know, the, 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 the Gollum's sense of what is time and what is personal history seems incredibly fragmented. Uh, <laughs> like you know, you know, unstuck in time. To borrow a phrase from another writer, hello, Kurt Vonnegut, but uh, but in a different sort of way. But this idea of you know pity, I think what's interesting is you could say there are, there are three, well, four great moments in Lord of the Rings where the pity where Gollum's well, the pity of Gollum turns out to have you know effects. First, there's uh, first there's you know of course Gandalf saying you know, talking about Bilbo pity and mercy. There is uh, Frodo pitying him when he realizes now that I have encountered him, you know, now that I see him, I, you know, stand there is in the segment that you read Oriana, that wonderful sequence uh, where you could argue the narrator for the first time really pities Gollum to a strong mm-hmm. degree, that he seemed like a just weary old hobbit. All of a sudden mm-hmm. we see him through much different eyes than we've seen him before. The fourth and final one, and this will probably come to surprise to nobody is when Sam finally pities him properly mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. was just beating on him. And I'll, I'll go ahead and read this bit because I think it is, it is an incredibly powerful part. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is uh, very much uh, Frodo is now off to the cracks of dooms on his own, and Sam is now the, going to finally take the revenge that he's been hoping for ever since Frodo was betrayed and left for dead in Skirthungle due to Gollum. So uh, now, said Sam, at last I can deal with you. He leaped forward with drawn blade ready for battle, but Gollum did not spring. He fell flat upon the ground and whimpered. Don't kill us, he wept. Don't hurt us with nasty, cruel steel. Let us live, yes, live just a little longer. Lost, lost, we're lost. And when precious goes, we'll die, yes, die into the dust. He clawed up the ashes of the past with his long, fleshless fingers. Dust, he hissed. Sam's hand wavered. His mind was hot with wrath and the memory of evil. It would be just to slay this treacherous, murderous creature, just and many times deserved. And also it seemed the only safe thing to do. But deep in his heart there was something that restrained him. He could not strike this thing lying in the dust, forlorn, ruinous, utterly wretched. He himself, though only for a little while, had borne the ring, and now he dimly guessed the agony of Gollum's shriveled mind and body, enslaved to that ring, unable to find peace or relief ever in life again. But Sam had no words to express what he felt and it goes on from there but i mean that's it it, it's you know tolkien does not have to do this right (laughs) tolkien absolutely does not have to do any of this Gollum could always just be just simply a murderous conniving wretch who you always have to keep an eye out for but uh he never you know as far as the narrative goes even up towards the end he always you know he always allows that in and of course even after he's gone frodo says to forgive Gollum to sam Mm -hmm. you know just sort of like even after his wounded hand saying you know what he did is is important and that if to maybe this will be the last thing i bring up on we're keeping an eye on the time we should think about starting to wrap up in a bit here there's a very interesting passage uh, from the letters that i had not fully understood let me rephrase that i had not fully remembered until reading again and this is from uh the uh letter it's a fairly long one uh, from 1963 to a miss eileen elgar basically he, he addresses the scene the kirathungal scene what if sam had not reacted so cruelly mm-hmm. what if what if Gollum had in fact 
re- stop, realized, oh, I'm betraying him. What have I done? And basically things took a different path. What if somehow Gollum had found a bit of redemption? So the sake is, so talking about Gollum's repentance is blighted and all Frodo's pity is in a sense wasted. Shelob's lair becomes inevitable, became inevitable. This is due to the logic of the story, in quotes. Sam could hardly have acted differently. He did reach the point of pity at last, that sequence I, I just read, but for the good of Gollum, too late. If he had, what then could have happened? The course of the entry into Mordor and the struggle to reach Mount Doom would have been different, and so would the ending. The interest would have shifted to Gollum, I think, and the battle would have gone on between his repentance and his new love on one side and the ring. Though the love would have been strengthened daily, it could not have wrested the mastery from the ring. I think in some queer, twisted, and pitiable way, Gollum would have tried, not maybe with conscious design, to satisfy both. Certainly, at some point, not long before the end, he would have stolen the ring or taken it by violence, as he does in the actual tale. Mm. But possession, in quote, satisfied, I think he would have then sacrificed himself for Frodo's sake and have voluntarily cast himself into the fiery abyss. Emphasis on the word voluntarily. Now, that's a really interesting alternate read. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, and I, I don't think that's a bad ending to the to the story mm. I, I, I it's not like i prefer the version that uh, that version to the one that we have but i i do like it mm-hmm. yeah i like it as a as a might have been but i also the moments of pity that you get with Gollum that wouldn't happen with that yeah storyline are so powerful mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the consistent response of people seeing him and going oh no i feel sorry for this monster mm-hmm is really beautiful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. asking you to have empathy for this thing that you know yeah has Mm -hmm. has killed a ton of people and it would maybe be right on some level to kill him Mm -hmm. but you know maybe he doesn't you you don't have to you can hope that he'll be better but also like the your empathy is not contingent upon his redemption and i think that Mm -hmm. is really important Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you should you should feel sorry for people who are miserable even if they have also done bad. Right. Yeah, and right. even if even if they may never do another good thing in their life again. Like yeah. they but are you can't, still... like you can't know that they won't, so you exactly. have to extend that hope to them. And I I mean you could probably maybe argue that that's not correct, but that is I think the argument is being made in the in the yeah. story and I think that that is a beautiful thing whether or not it's even practical like <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what's what's interesting about that passage, that you know, confrontations, you know, don't let us die into the dust passage, is precisely because Sam, up to this point, it's hard, it's it's kind of hard to say it. We all love Sam, and yet you could argue that up until this point, but especially in the sequence from Kirith Uncle Longer, is incredibly self righteous. He knows what he hates, mm-hmm. you know. Go- and Gollum has been encountered at bits and pieces before. He knows he's out there. There's sequences in the Morgai, you know. It's sort of like that he's being followed along. It's sort of like oh. You finally here and then he's finally there so it's something that's been burning out it's like and it's like i know what i'm going to do i mean there's that bit earlier in the novel he says it will no matter what else happens i'm going to you know he's going to track down Gollum even in a mm-hmm. dark corner and kill him you know he's sort of like this is what i am going to do and i know i'm going to do the right of it and when it comes to the moment i you know i think tolkien is clearly just pointing out you know you could say sam's essential goodness you could say you know sort of almost mm-hmm. like he's snapping out of it but he's it's something that he doesn't make it seem like he just simply just simply sees him and changes his mind he suddenly gets a glimpse in and he vectors mm-hmm. in the possession of the ring as the way to sort of have that point of con- connection and continuity which is very interesting so yeah to bring that up yeah back to that question of you know is he responsible for his actions i guess mm-hmm. when sam is able to look at that and go no i i get it yeah 
barely, but I do. That mm-hmm. this is, this thing has made you so miserable that, like, after after reacting to Gollum with disgust, especially and hatred throughout the entire thing, all of a sudden he's like, no, no, wait, yeah, <laughs> you poor thing. And it and it is interesting how you know you could say Gollum's afterlife you could say in the rest of the story you know he isn't really you know he he's barely touched on for the rest of the for the rest of the uh for the rest of uh, lord of the rings uh as as he has a tidy speech about like well the tragedy of gollum in the end was that (laughs) yeah 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 it's sort of like you know there's the there's the note that frodo says to sam you know just do forgive him even as the the end is coming because they're still on mount doom uh trying to avoid the lava but then after that it's more just sort of the damage that's been wrought, mm. you know, the literal missing finger, and uh, and and more than that, it's sort of like you know, just you know, Gollum. It, you 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 do wonder, uh, but you know, again, this is Tolkien; he doesn't really show. You know, how much did Gollum just shadow in in Frodo's mind? It's one of those things you almost have to draw your own implications. Um, but having said that, again, keeping it on the time, we should probably wrap up here. And so, uh, Oriana do you, is the one who picked the topic. Do you have any sort of final thoughts or things to end on for now? Yeah, I think the reason Gollum resonates so much for me is because he does and again, there is an argument to be made about how much choice Gollum has, you know, after he takes possession of the ring. But Gollum... It, has just made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice and he continues to do so he is if anyone has seen you know everything everywhere all at once he's he is the worst version of himself (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i just find that extremely resonant and that's one of the reasons he sticks with me so much Okay, the time has come to talk about the next episode. Choice of topic has come around to Jared. What are we talking about next time? Yes, hello. Um, what I would like to talk about next time is something that we've, in a way, been talking about the whole time. <laughs> but it's very near and dear to my heart. World building, actually. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, in a way, Tolkien is the start of world building as a concept. Mm. Not the mm-hmm. only start. Mm-hmm but certainly the popularizer of it. Hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to be another big swing. We're going to not <laughs> cover everything. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> but I just, I, I want to, I want to get that out there for the people. <laughs> Thank you for your elegant yeah. introduction. Yeah. To it. So, but yeah, no, more seriously. I mean, that is a term that itself is so incredibly plastic. And what does it even mean that? Yeah. yeah I, think and that... I, I mean, this will come up next month. Definitely. But like, I think it's overused and very irritated by people, yeah. <laughs> by people talking about it. But... It's amazing what people consider as world building when it's like, no, no, that's just the story. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or like mm-hmm. it's, We'll get it. We'll get to we'll, that. We'll get we'll, to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, let's, but, not, let's not give it all the way yeah. now. We got we got a month to think about it. So <laughs> this is the prologue. There you go. But yeah, something to think about. Yeah, start. Yeah, do Google searches for the term. Amazing what you'll run up with. I'm sure. So, um, but uh, all right. Well, we will get to that in a month's time. We may have more news in a month's time. I don't know. God, I, mean, I hope so. You know, we have, we have booze on various fronts. Uh, we will say that we will uh, be approaching uh, more details of uh, our 50th anniversary episode. It's coming together and we can say that mm. yes I we will say this much for right now it will be a live episode with all three of us in the same place at the same time yeah. and there may be more to it than that <laughs> hint hint I will simply say that if you happen to be in Portland this might even be more helpful but 
That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say for now. Still nailing us down, but it is it is on the verge of happening. So uh, we'll have more details soon enough. Um, but in the meantime, as before, the state of our social media is uh, for the show itself is in flux. But you know where to find us if you've been listening to us. And as we said last time, uh, we can be reached at our various spots, whether on Twitter or on Mastodon or elsewhere. Uh, do consider joining the Patreon. Join us on the Discord. It's a lovely plot. And uh, there is uh, much more we could say. But, uh, you know, go back to last episode and hear that and hear all the other episodes they're good but uh, more seriously uh, thanks again very much for listening we do appreciate it and we will talk to you all next time so until then <laughs>